Welcome to episode 115 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams and his creator, Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing Fringe Season 4, Episodes 4 through 5. The first episode up in that batch is an episode entitled Subject 9. So, Matt, I have a question for you. Do you see a, a aberration in your room when you wake up? Sometimes, just like Dana Barrett and Ghostbusters, there's weird stuff afoot in the rooms. And in this one, Olivia is kind of being haunted. And this apparition is appearing. And this strange force is happening. And I love as she talks to Walter and Astrid. And they're checking out her place to try and figure out what this apparition could be. As we are watching it, we are hoping that this apparition better fucking be Peter Bishop or I'm going to be really pissed off. But that's not where we're headed right at at first. We start with them looking into this disturbance. And Walter says, you know what? This is similar to one of the Cortexafan kids that I used to work with back in the day. And what we find out is that in the new remixed timeline, as you like to call it, the Cortexafan trials did happen, but... They ended when young Olive ran away because Peter Bishop wasn't there to bring her back, as we had seen in previous seasons. So after Olive ran away, they had to shut down the trials. And this is actually the first Cortexafan child they have had to deal with because Astrid knows nothing of the Cortexafan trials. And Walter has to bring everybody up to speed on what that was because it's not a thing that this Team Fringe has encountered over and over again, like our Team Fringe had. And they realized that there was one kid that had this ability with astral projection and controlling and containing, like, electricity. So, Marcella, what are you thinking of the remix timeline explanation of the Cortexafan trials and how they went different from what we had presumed to know? I really like that. Because, you know, it it, it 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 shows us that in this remix timeline, Olive was able to escape the uh, Cortexafan trials. It also showed us that still that still everyone except Olive uh, for 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 one reason or another wasn't able to sort of get over their trauma and live a life successfully. I mean, the. Uh, the individual that they go down and hunt before they before they really come to a conclusion as to what this aberration can do basically goes on a date with a girl says something stupid turns red and physically pulls the gold fillings out of the girl's mouth so we still see that individuals that were part of the cortexafan that were part of the cortexafan trials in our universe or the remix universe still suffer. And it's nice to see as fucked up as it is. It's nice to see that the one that kind of got out of it unscathed is Olive. With that being said, I do feel that if the writers of fringe sort of rework this episode and put it together with 
the next episode um, that we're going to talk about as a two-hour sort of block, I think it would have worked much better. But I liked it for the most part. And we do find out now in the reset timeline, Massive Dynamic is still around. Obviously, Walter doesn't own it in this one, but it is still there. And when they are trying to track down Subject 9, who is the only way that Walter remembers this kid, they go to Massive Dynamic to see Nina Sharp. And in this moment, we find out that Olivia Dunham and Nina Sharp in this universe now have a much deeper connection than they did in our old timeline. So it is mentioned multiple times that they have some sort of connection and they know each other because Nina makes reference to when Olivia was growing up and she went on a date and all this stuff. So we're like, huh, in our version that we had been familiar with for the past three years, they met a couple of months ago. And in this, Nina has intimate knowledge of Olivia's life, which is interesting for us to wonder why that is and how that is. And the other interesting thing we find out after this meeting with Nina and Olivia, Olivia goes back to the lab to Walter. And she says, I got the information on this kid, Cameron. We're going to have to go track him down. Walter does some snooping and finds a letter in Olivia's bag that is a referral that basically is asking whether Walter should be recommitted to St. Clair's. And in this moment, he says, I'm going to come with you. She's like, you're going to come with me. You haven't left the lab in three years. He hasn't even stepped outside. What are you thinking, Marcelo? as Walter, we learn, is so scared of going back to St. Clair's and his fate, he feels, is in Olivia's hands that he literally hasn't been outside in three years and now he's going to go on a road trip, which does go bad at a hotel room real quick. Yeah, um, I really connected with that because... For various points in my life, I've had to convince, let's just say, organizations that I am able to take care of myself in a specific way and that I'm able to take care of myself without my primary caregiver or anyone or anyone there uh, 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 from my family. So watching Walter venture out into the world, it was very, very interesting to me because I went through that similar to that not not as bad as walter did but i went through a day or two of saying i need to prove that i can do this 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 and this to get the hell out of where i was living at the time and 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 so i can become independent and so i can get the hell away from certain individuals in my family so i can really live the life that i want and it turned out that if i went down that path the life that I would be living is a life that I wasn't accustomed to and that I would have to make certain sacrifices. And to to really be shown that sort of shocked the hell out of me. So I, I, I identified with Walter being scared to death, but I really like the fact that this episode showed... Um, showed a different side of Walter and Olivia's re- relationship. I liked it a hell of a lot. My favorite moment, sort of in the in the restaurant, when Walter is telling Olivia to to basically to stab her root beer float to get a mixture of root beer and uh, vanilla in the straw. I thought that was a really really awesome tiny moment. 
Yeah, great moment. And we know Walter Bishop loves his strawberry milkshakes and root beer floats. So I still love that that comes in. And after Walter's panic attack over the germs of the hotel room and he finally settles down, he reveals to us that after Peter died, Elizabeth killed herself much sooner than she did in the other timeline. So she didn't hang on for years after. It was almost immediate. So he has been on his own for much longer in this. And that isolation and the threat of St. Clair's really puts him on edge. And as they are talking, you know, the disturbance happens again. They think that this guy Cameron is responsible for the disturbance. They were waiting to go in and ambush him the next day. And when they show up, they they get there. And as stuff is happening, they start to realize that this guy isn't actually causing the disturbance, but maybe they can use him to somehow isolate or fix whatever is happening. So their initial hypothesis that he was causing this stuff is wrong. And I did think it was interesting that when this episode aired in 2011, when Cameron shows up, I probably would have just thought, oh, just some guy. And now in 2022, when Cameron shows up, it took my breath away. Marcella, what were you thinking in that moment? Yeah, um, I, you know, me too. I, I, you know, when he showed up, I was like, oh, man, that's oh. seeing 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 Chadwick Boseman in an early role on Fringe really, really, really made me nostalgic for a minute. I, I, I would have loved to see more of him. But on the other hand, I don't like how how uh, the writers chose to relay this information. So the fact that I mean I mean it was it was cool seeing Chadwick Boseman, but if I didn't have that connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, my heart wouldn't have had a little flutter. So I really really liked seeing him again, and it was it was it was kind of nice. It was kind of nice. Yeah, I do think that the way that Cameron is written is just your standard guest star of the week shows up, does a little fringy stuff, and then kind of disappears, and we never think about them again. But in watching it now and realizing this was one of Chadwick Boseman's early performances, I'm instantly captivated by everything that's going on. But it's not because of anything that's actually in this episode. It's because of the weighty baggage of a career that would happen after this and a life cut way too short that it really reframes and makes you pay attention to these scenes that the writing and the episode actually don't demand. But the fact that Chadwick was such a presence in a limited thing is really nice to see. He is able to sort of isolate this disturbance, and as everything is going crazy, and he is trying to calm everything down, the apparition becomes a much more human-like figure and stares Olivia in the face, and clearly in this moment, we can tell this is actually Peter Bishop. So this is what we were hoping it was. It is somehow... Peter in the ether trying to come through and Cameron does the damn thing and the energy disappears and we're like, oh no, what happened? Where did it go? And they're like, what was that? And Olivia says, it was a man. She's like, that was a person. I don't know what's happening here. And we then cut to Raiden Lake and in kind of Jason Voorhees fashion, Peter pops out of the water and all of a sudden he is in the spot where Peter died on the frozen lake, 
but now it is summer and he rises to the surface and a couple of people pick him up in a canoe. What are you thinking, Marcelo, as finally in episode four is when we get Peter resurfacing right at the end? I really, I want to go back to something I said previously. If parts of this episode were stitched into a two-parter to start out the season and another story was concocted with elements of of the Chadwick Boseman story for episodes two and three, I thought would have been great. But with what we got, seeing Peter rise up out of the water like some messianic Jesus figure was cool. And um, I, I, I also really appreciated the focus of this episode and how it sort of leaned into the serial, the serialization of Fringe and it didn't wobble or didn't fuck around as much uh, as much as Fringe has in the past with with different storylines. Yeah. And I I agree that I wish we had somehow compressed a few things and streamlined stuff to get here a little bit sooner. And then the the final kicker of the episode is that Walter's like, what's going on? What's going on? And they're like, don't worry about it, but just just relax. And Royals says to like Olivia, like, you got to go talk to this guy. And she goes in or whatever and says like, who are you? And doesn't recognize this guy. Doesn't recognize him at all. So that's where we leave it, where he's back, but nobody recognizes him. Nobody has any instant connection to him. So I'm frustrated because I was hoping that his return would cause some sort of ripple that the the memories would come back. And as you know, my main hangup is if the whole history of those first three seasons is gone, I get really frustrated. We move on to the second episode that we're going to talk about this week. The episode is entitled Novations. So, Matt, who exactly are you again? And how do I know you? So fr- So frustrating. So frustrating. Finally, Joshua Jackson is back. And everybody has to pretend that they have never seen him before. And he starts to realize, like, something is up. Shit has gone bad. I thought I was just fixing everything. And now no one remembers me? What is this? This is not what I signed up for. And so he says, after he has this encounter where he realizes that the love of his life has no clue who he is, that he will only talk to Walter because he wants to sort this out. And if anyone can fix it, it's got to be Walter. So him and Walter do have like a sit down and Walter's like, I don't know who you are. And he's like, well, I'm your son. I all this stuff happened. You have to help me fix this. And Walter is not as receptive to this information as I wish he would be. He never flat out says like, I don't believe you or you're lying, but he's just saying that's, he keeps saying stuff like that's not my experience. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you're triggering me here right now. Walter, are you glad that Peter is back, but is now a prisoner and no one believes that he is who he says he is. I am glad that Peter is back, but I, all throughout the second episode, I'm like, how the fuck are they going to fix this? And how are they going to make it make sense in a science fiction prism? Because how the fuck is this going to happen? Is it going to is it going to happen that, you know, eventually Peter is going to do something and then touch Olivia and then somehow the memories that our Peter has are going to go are, are going to go flowing back into her brain? Or is our French team eventually going to be comfortable 
in, in enough with Peter to believe everything he's saying. So I don't know how I don't know exactly how the fringe writers are going to justify this or how they're going to sort of write themselves out of the corner when it comes to this conundrum that they have now. Yeah, it's a pretty big conundrum and what they do for now is this is mostly an episode of the week story that has underlying ramifications for the entire season with bookends of the Peter Bishop stuff and a few sprinkled throughout. But most of it is about the shapeshifters, the new school shapeshifters that we are learning are after something. And what they are after is a scientist who did work for Massive Dynamic. He was working on a thing that was going to make it so that these shapeshifters could basically be supercharged and be able to shapeshift into anyone at any time. And if this guy finishes his research, the shapeshifters will be like unstoppable. We won't be able to track them down. Their DNA will match DNA perfectly. They will be able to be undetectable. And as they are investigating this, this is where we visit Massive Dynamic again, and we find out one of the things that I thought was the stupidest, and it's literally just one line that made no sense, is Olivia says, hey, do you remember this this trial? Can you look it up? And Ian Sharp's like, I don't remember anything about this. And they're like, well, this doctor ran it. Do you remember that doctor? She's like, never heard of him. Then she types it into the computer, and she goes, oh, oh yeah, this. I remember this guy, and this happened on this day, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. I'm like, why did she deny remembering the scientist when the second they brought up the file, she had all this recollection of shit that wasn't in the file? When all she needed to say was, I do vaguely remember that that guy used to work here. Let me bring up the file. But she's like, no idea who you're talking about. But then she had an encyclopedia's worth of information about this experiment. Massive dyna- the, the head of Massive Dynamic denying that she has no knowledge of people that used to work there is fucking ridiculous. It is so goddamn dumb and ridiculous that the head of Massive Dynamic wouldn't be, wouldn't be able to help the Fringe Division regardless of what universe we're in, whether it's a remix or not. That was just dumb and stupid. The change in, the change in dynamics... When it comes to Olivia and Nina's relationship, I really, really like that because it gives a different layer to how Olive was raised. She didn't have uh, or or maybe she did have the abusive father. But after she ran away from the Gortexophan trials, she was given a reprieve and she was shuttled off to a safe haven, so to speak. So in a way, you might think I'm crazy in a way this remixed Olivia is sort of like alt Olivia to a point. She does have another level of happiness in her life with Nina basically adopting her and become and becoming her surrogate mother. So this is where we get that key information that last episode, we knew that they had some sort of connection. We weren't sure what it was. This one we find out she's like a adopted mother. Marcella, what are you thinking when it, this big familial connection is unleashed yeah i you know you know i really like that um because i think that that brings a, a, another interesting dynamic between olivia and nina that we previously wouldn't have had so i really like the fact that after olivia 
ran away from the Grotexophan trials, she had a, uh, a somebody physically caught her and she was able to find some semblance of happiness in her life in the form of having a surrogate, a surrogate mother through Nina Sharp. The other thing that really pissed me off about this episode, when Nina Sharp first shows up, she's like doing this big speech in front of some big wigs at Massive, Dyna- uh, at Massive Dynamics, some investors or something. And she says the most ignorant thing I've ever, ever heard. She says, we're Massive Dynamic, but we are not responsible for what our product for what our product does to individuals once it leaves our our safeful hands, so to speak. And I'm like, you you ignorant lady, that is the most short-sighted, disrespectful thing for you to say as a member of a CEO of a, of a big corporation. That is dumb and oh, so stupid. It is the thing where big corporations love to try and pass the buck and not take any responsibility. And it is kind of frustrating in those moments to see that. I do think this is a pretty big episode for Nina overall, because we find out that she was the adopted caregiver of Olivia Dunham. But also with Peter coming back, uh, we do find out uh, there's a big scene with her and Walter where, you know, Walter says, seeing this guy who claims to be my son brought up so much stuff that I couldn't let Peter die and I couldn't stand by and you, Nina, begged me to stop and I couldn't. And I've hated you for 25 years because if you hadn't been there and and kind of worked alongside me, I wouldn't have broken this veil and all this shit and he's he's trying to put some of the blame on Nina and we find out that they have had this weird relationship this whole time and that starts to make us wonder more of what's going on there but also Nina says like I can't explain where this guy came from but maybe you've just been given a second chance and yes you spend all this time hating me and yes all this stuff happened because of us working together but this second chance might be an opportunity and maybe you should seize it rather than seize the hate of it. That's another thing that I really loved about this episode. I love that this episode sort of hinted at story threads between Walter and Nina that I like an idiot because my brain is like mush guys. I hinted at this relationship eons ago in our past episodes. So (laughs) I not to not to say that, I have a better memory than Matt because I don't. But I love that this storyline is being floated in the air that Walter and Nina in this remix verse possibly had some sort of romantic relationship. And also, I really like that this version of Nina was able to hold Walter back and and sort of and sort of be the voice of reason to Walter in a way that in a way that our version of Nina wasn't when Walter first left our universe and went and went into the other one to go get another version of Peter because he couldn't cope with the loss of his son. Yeah. And as he's grappling with all this stuff, 
we are on a race against the clock to try and track down the scientist before he does this shit for the shapeshifters. We get there too late. They think that they kill the shapeshifter after the cure has been synthesized, but then we find out that no, this shapeshifter, uh, Nadine, got away and she does have the cure information now. So if she's able to somehow relay this to the other side, these shapeshifters can be the super soldiers that we don't want them to be. And so we do see a typewriter come out. Typewriter is back, sending a message to the other side. Says, you know, got the cure. What's up? And it's like, hang tight. We're sending the army. So it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> this this stuff's going down again. And we're going to have to deal with it. But there is one final moment where Walter visits Peter again. And Peter's like, yeah, I've been working on theories of stuff. And Walter's like, look, you might be who you say you are, but I can't deal with this. I will scientifically respect that that is the case, but you are not my son. You are a time variant, an anomaly, a tear in the fabric that I can study and we can try and figure out what that is. But the one thing I am not is your dad. And that was really heartbreaking. But also because of everything that this Walter has been through, I understand it, but I get very frustrated as a fan who want the moment where Walter realizes this is why I've been seeing this guy because he is my son and he did exist. And we had this thing. So I wanted a different response, but I hope that somehow the science of it will be able to undo this. And as I've said before, the thing I'm hoping for is I need that magic moment where the memories for everyone come back. And if that magic moment doesn't happen, and this is square one of this Peter and this Walter and this Peter and this Olivia, I'm fucking mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. Uh, again, I said it. I, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. I don't know how the writers are going to work their way out of this writer's conundrum. If I would have condensed parts of this episode and the first episode that we talked about, I would have given. Walter, a moment in this episode to figure out, okay, I believe you and we're going to figure out why I don't remember you and why and, and why nobody on our team remembers. And I would have left off with Walter working on a way to make them remember the things that Peter is saying. And then I would have uh, pivoted to the shapeshifter with the typewriter. It's going to have to happen very quick, don't you think? Or do you think they're going to labor on this for a few more episodes here and there. Feels like they're going to draw this shit out as long as they can. And how did the observers fit into all of this? And with September not doing what he was supposed to do and them still kind of hanging around in the background every once in a while, we see an observer. Why are they still observing? What is happening now? I wonder what the consequences of September not doing what he was told. I wonder what consequences he's going to have. Uh, 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 put on him because he didn't he didn't uncork Peter from this remix timeline. So what's going to happen to him? Those are all questions that Fringe is going to have to answer. I think pretty quickly. Hopefully, you know, next week we're going to talk about episodes six and seven, which were the last two episodes that aired 
before Fringe took two months off. So those are the November sweeps before it didn't come back until January. So I feel like they got to do a lot of work when we talk about those next two next week because if we don't clear up a little bit of this mess before sending us off into an eight-week gap, then I think the fans won't be sitting idly by. They'll be on message boards bitching. All right, guys. So with that being said, I think that'll do it for this edition of Radio 815. Listen, guys, if you love anything that we do here at all on the show and you want to reach out to us for whatever reason, there are a couple ways to do that. First, you can just reach us on Twitter by using the hashtag Radio 815, or you can reach out to us on our personal Twitter account. It's uh, JJUniverse815. If you want to talk to me personally, uh, you can also reach me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88, but Matt, if the good folks want to reach out to you, what would be the best place for them to do that? On Twitter, at Matt Crandall. All right, guys. And before I go, before we go, I just want to mention, um, if you like the show, but you don't necessarily have time to watch a YouTube vi- to wa- to listen to a standard podcast feed, we are available on YouTube. Uh, we're G- we're at youtube.com slash Radio815. So there are multiple ways that you can reach out to us and get in contact, get in contact with us if you'd like. So until next week, as always, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.